Welcome to the Epigenetics Podcast from Active Motif. Join host Dr. Stefan Dillinger for lively discussions with leading epigenetics researchers. Hear about their past experiments, what they're working on now, and what's coming next. You know their papers, now get to know them and discover the stories behind the science. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Epigenetics Podcast. Today I'm happy to welcome Juan Huey from Active Motif on this show. Usually I introduce our guests at the beginning of each episode, but since this is a special episode, I want to mix things up a little bit and ask you, what is your background and how did you end up at Active Motif? Uh, hi, thanks for having me. So my name is Yuan and I was trained as a molecular and cellular biologist. And during my PhD and postdoc work, I studied many aspects of chromatin biology, such as telomeres, gene expression control, and chromatin dynamics. So um, I joined ActiMotif as a research scientist in the service department. So here I lead a team to provide epigenetic services such as ATAC-seq, RNA-seq, RBS to customers all around the world. And ATAC-seq is what we uh, want to talk about today. Um, yeah, ATAC-seq is a method which is, is native tagmentase-assisted assay developed by Jason Buenrostro and colleagues. Um, that original paper was published in 2013, and we already did an episode with Jason uh, himself about the new developments out of his laboratory. So please check out the link in the show notes to access um, this episode. Before we go into the details of the method, I wanted to start by giving a short overview of ATAC-seq. Can you maybe give us a short breakdown of ATAC-seq? Uh, sure. Yeah, so ATAC-seq stands for ASCII for Transposase Accessible Chromatin with High Throughput Sequencing. So this is a very popular epigenetic assay because it allows researchers to understand the global chromatin state in their cells very quickly and using only 100,000 cells. So in our typical workflow, we have nuclear prep and tagmentation using the TN5 enzyme, then the library prep, sequencing, and followed by analysis. So if you would like me to go into details, we can as, as well. Yeah, we uh, maybe we can uh, postpone this a little bit because I have uh, uh, some questions in between. Um, you just said that uh, TN5 integrates sequencing adapters into open accessible regions of chromatin. Why is that such a useful thing? Oh, sure. Yeah, so the at the core of ATAC-seq is this uh, tagmentation with hyperactive TN5 transposase. So uh, this enzyme can simultaneously cut DNA at the accessible regions and insert sequencing adapters. So this step allows like one step, one pot reaction. So you can do all of these molecular gymnastics in one test tube at 35 minutes incubation. So without you know, complex processing, overnight ligation, purification. So in the end of the day, you're saving tens of hours and cut down the input material. This is why the ATAC-seq um, can be you know done in four to six hours with only fifty thousand cells. So when we look at ATAC-seq and compare it to um, other methods um, that also probe open chromatin, uh, methods that come into mind are like DNA seq or FreeRNA seq. So what is the advantage of ATAC-seq to in comparison to those methods? Uh, yeah, that's true. So like all of these assays are detecting open chromatin and allows you to identify the active regulatory elements. Actually, for a while, you know, ENCODE are using DNA-seq to detect the open chromatin regions. 
Uh, however, the ATAC-seq really outshines the two older generation technologies because of its simplicity and efficiency. And it only requires the much lower amount of input as well. So if you look at the DNA-seq uh, and FAIR-seq, it takes about two to three days and it needs like special instrumentations like special gel electroforensis or sonicator. And the library prep is cumbersome. So you need to do overnight linker ligation. Whereas in ATAC-seq, you do the whole experiment in four to six hours. You do one-step tagmentation reaction on a shaking incubator. That's all you need. And then you get this library prep in a very simple step. Yeah, so it, it really seems to come down to the TN5 enzyme that because this does the cutting and the, the library preparation in one step, right? Yeah, exactly. And this uh, because of this uh, enzyme, you don't have to do multiple steps and you know getting your DNA out of the gel, purify it, and do a next step and purify it again. So you eliminate the loss of material as well. So the input way for you know DNA seq, we need 50 million cells, but for ATAC seq, you need 50,000 cells, which is a thousand fold less. So let's look at the protocol of ATAC-seq, which seems to be very simple, as we just outlined. There are only two main steps in the protocol. Uh, first, there is the cell preparation. Second, the transposition reaction. So when we start with the starting material, um, what kind of samples can be processed with ATAC-seq right now? Maybe we can differentiate between the services and the kit. And what is the requirement in terms of quality and amount of cells and tissue? Yeah, so actually the kit and services are very similar. So we aim to provide a kit that allow researchers to do exactly the same um, you know, experiment that we do for the end-to-end -end services. So all, the, all of the regions are the same. And in principle, you can process exactly the same material and sample types. So um, talking about the type of samples, so ATAC-seq is assay that applies to the widest range of species and sample types. So we can receive culture cells, tissues, for example, tumor biopsies, uh, nuclear samples, organoid, and you can do live or frozen samples. Basically, any samples you can get a good nuclear prep of, we can do it. Okay. So the first step um, of the protocol is cell lysis. So you just said um, the nuclear prep is important. So if you can do a nuclear prep, um, you can use the cell. So if... I think that's that's the, the core point of the wide range of, of samples that are accessible because you can also use nuclear as starting material, right? Yeah, that's true. So in ActiMotif, we actually developed a protocol that allow you to isolate nuclei from majority of the sample types. So if you encounter a difficult sample, uh, we would recommend to isolate the nuclei from your own lab and send the nuclei. So this will also like... Because many questions are, yeah, is this uh, method also suitable for plants, for example, right? And if you can then isolate nuclei from your plant material, then it's no problem to use this assay also on plants, right? Yeah, that's true. In principle, yes, any tissues, as long as you can get a good nuclear prep. The reason we don't uh, accept plant tissues is because of the cell wall and, you know, the waxy layer. So we have to do extra step to remove them before our protocol. So we have not really adopted yet, but if you can send us nuclei, yeah, we can give it a try. Oh, okay. Sure. So what do I need to take into account if I use cells of other origin than from human? Um, the genome size might be important, right? 
Um, actually, you know, like we can perform ATAC analysis regardless of species and genome size. So as long as the genome is, is sequenced, assembled, so preferably we, we want it to be assembled and annotated so we can analyze it quickly. Um, when it comes to sequencing, the, sequ the genome size matters. Um, because, for example, for human mice genomes, we typically sequence 30 million parent rates, and that gives us enough coverage to deliver accurate data. Um, but if you're working with smaller genomes, such as Drosophila, uh, we will scale down the number of reads we needed to generate good data. But in terms of the TN5 for the transposition reaction, the genome size doesn't matter so much? Not really, yeah. So we have processed uh, um, plenty of samples with, you know, Drosophila C. elegans and, you know, smaller genome size. And it all worked out quite nicely. Yes. So the second step is the transposition reaction. Um, can you please describe what is happening in, the, in this step? Um, sure. So, uh, like I said, the TN5 uh, transposes is entering the nucleus and is simultaneously cut and paste adapters into the open chromatin regions. So the TN5 we use are the preloaded with adapter sequences. So everything is ready to go. So it's very convenient and we just put it in and we wait for 30 minutes at 37 degrees and we're done. <laughs> that sounds very easy. Is there something that can go wrong? Uh, sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> there could be um, endotagmentation or overtagmentation issues. So, for example, if your tissue has excessive um, you know, ECM, it does not lyse very well, so you don't get a very homogeneous single cell suspension. It can be difficult to lyse the cells. In this case, TN5 does not enter the nucleus very well and does not do its job very well, so you can have endotagmentation. And in other cases, the other spectrum, you have excessive amount of dead cells. So, so the dead cells will contain chromatin that are damaged and unprotected that are prone to be cut by the TN5. So in this case, you will have over tagmentation, which will give you high background in the ATAC-seq. So how would you see both cases? I mean, how, how would, you, would you see that, that it's not right? In your um, experiment, if you use the kit, for example, right? You would do a QC experiment, and how would you see, for example, under-tagmentation? So for under-tagmentation, you can detect it on the uh, tape station or bioanalyzer by looking at the size distribution of your library. Um, for over-tagmentation, you can also see it, but you know, in the case of dead cells, you actually very hard to differentiate. So let's just talk about the, you know, the trace um, for a good library. So we, we, we got that question a lot. So people always ask us, does our library look okay? Yeah, that's... So we actually write <laughs> an article about this and um, you know, we could share the link uh, with the audiences. Um, so that describe what library trace would look like. You know, briefly, it's actually can look quite different from sample type to sample type depending on the cell type, the cell number, growth condition, treatment, et cetera. So typically we can see a trace that looks like a ski slope with a peak around say 200 base pair with a long tail. Um, so the, the peak about 200 base pairs because the TN5 is cutting around a nucleosome and that give you around 150 base pair. 
plusing the adapter sequences. So that gives you around 200 base pair. So sometimes we see two peaks and sometimes we see multiple peaks uh, between the, 200 base pair to 1,000 base yeah. pair. But uh, sorry, the, the peak for the mononucleosome should always be the highest, right? Um, yes, but so we do see some cases like, you know, the, the peak distribution is not the first peak the highest. Sometimes we see them a little bit equal or differently distributed. That's also can be seen. So that's no 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 thing to worry about if you see those kind of things. True. So in this case, as long as you see, you know, periodical peaks that reflect the um, TN5 cutting different number of nucleosomes, um, we typically think they are good to go. Okay. So the, the only concern is sometimes you get endotagmentation uh, that is very severe. So you don't see the lower molecular weight uh, peaks like the 200 base pair peaks. If everything is shifted to 800 base pair and above, then that is something to be concerned of. Yeah, the tagmentation, as we just talked about, yields a library which needs to be amplified by PCR for next-generation sequencing. Um, is there anything that needs to be paid attention to in terms of the PCR, like cycle numbers or something like that? Right. So typically for our workflow, we use 50 to 100,000 cells and uh, for 10 to 11 cycles of PCR is ideal. And um, sometimes customers send us less cells. In this case, we'll add additional PCR cycles up to 13 cycles in total. And um, that really depends on, you know, what is the end uh, concentration of the library um, that you need it for sequencing. So if you end up with very little uh, material, so you would add wanted to add an additional cycles to amplify that. Is there also like a qPCR step that, I mean, I heard about that, that you could do like a qPCR to find out the optimal numbers of PCR cycles that you can do? Yes, you could do that. So, I mean, in the original protocol published, um, there are additional steps. You can look at the CQ levels and to predict how many additional cycles you can add it in. But in your in our hands, because we have a lot of experience with uh, different sample types, uh, we have a good idea of how many cycles we can use. So we typically do not need to do that. But if a customer wouldn't would want to do that, he could the customer could run a qPCR, and then depending on the result of the qPCR, adjust the cycle numbers in the amplification PCR. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we do in our old lab, academic lab. Here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we have already gone through the whole protocol, which is uh, very short. Um, and this is maybe also the advantage that makes it uh, prone for like um, clinical applications. Um, yeah. And we also outlined the potential pitfalls and talked about solution. Uh, and I have uh, some further questions. When would you recommend to use ATAC-Seq? for an academic researcher, for example? Sure, so that's a very good question. Um, so we would think ATAC-Seq as a, a good first step if you are new to epigenetic assays, it's because this allows you to gain a global understanding of the chromatin state of the system very quickly. And you don't need previous knowledge about you know, what specific epigenetic marks to use um, to test in the chip, for example. Um, but you can use the data to generate good hypotheses to follow up with those experiments. 
uh, for example, chip or knock down functional assays to test your hypothesis. So for other researchers that are, for example, limited by budget, so you cannot test multiple um, antibodies in a chip experiment, uh, ataxic would be a good alternative. And uh, if you're limited by starting material, for example, you know, you don't have millions of cells, you only have 100 cells, so ataxic is the way to go. And for other researchers, they wanted to complement their RNA-seq data with, um, you know, um, with chromatin state data to help them to interpret what's going on in the cell. So right now it's very popular that we do, you know, integrative analysis of RNA-seq with ataxic data together. Yeah, I guess the, the buzzword here would be multiomics. Um, yeah, where you can do like RNA-seq, ATAC-seq, and maybe also then some cut-and-take experiments uh, combined to get a full yeah. picture of the chromatin landscape. Yeah, so what's kind of interesting is, um, you know, my colleague and I were talking about RNA-seq and ATAC-seq combined. You know, uh, the, the thing is RNA-seq tells you what's, what has happened in the past, whereas ATAC-seq tells you what is happening now and what will happen in the future. Because, you know, if you think about the RNA, you know, has different half-life, it can hunt around for a while. So what you see is what has already been transcribed. But ATAC-seq allows you to see uh, what are the promoters open? What are the genes that are poised to be transcribed? You know, once the transcription factor binds to it, it will start to transcribe, you know, what's going to happen in the future. So by combining the two, you, you actually have a deeper understanding, just not just a skin-deep understanding of your RNA-seq data. Yeah, and if you do like several time points, you also can catch dynamics, right? Is the locus that's getting opened also transcribed or is there something else happening? Yeah, exactly. So for example, in the case for certain genes that are very lowly expressed, like transcription factors, or they are infrequently expressed, so it's difficult to catch them by a typical RNA-seq uh, data set. But if you use ATAC-seq to complement that, you can see that these genes are open to be transcribed and available for you know, uh, binding to other you know, factors. So basically, they are likely to be transcribed if you probe deeper. So you can actually test that hypothesis. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. So is there an interesting example that you could describe where ATAC-seq was used in the literature? So like we said, like the general um, trend we see is that people starting combining um, ATAC-seq with other um, popular epigenetic assays. So RNA-seq, ATAC-seq can go together very well. And the other application that uh, I see and actually my older lab have used is to use ATAC-seq to detect certain transcription factors and chromatin remodelers that may play an active role in the system. Because there's an analysis that we do for ATAC-seq is called motif analysis. So basically it identifies in a non-biased way that what transcription factors uh, binding site are present at the open chromatin region and give you a list of the top factors. So this basically gives you a hypothesis, you know, a starting point to ask, okay, are these transcription factors actually binding to the you know, promoters of interest? of those key genes that can turn on your system. So then we would follow up with a chip experiment using those antibodies against those uh, transcription factors to see if they're actually binding 
or you know we can do a knockdown experiment to see if they play a role. So yeah, so it's it's actually a very rich system that you can have a lot of studies follow up with. In recent years, single cell assays got more and more popular. Ataxic is no different here. So, however, the single cell Ataxic protocol is very different from that than the one of bulk Ataxic, and we do not offer a kit just yet, uh, but just a service for this. Could you please describe very briefly the difference of bulk Ataxic to single cell Ataxic? Sure. So, so the bulk Ataxic um, is basically we are taking average of many many cells, uh, and you generate the open chromatin regions landscape. Uh, however, you don't know whether that peak belongs to a certain cell type or it belongs to all of the cells. So in a typical tissue type, for example, cancer, um, you know, liver or any you know, normal organs, the cell type are very varied. So you don't know whether which cell type are actually uh, harboring these open chromatin regions as the promoter of interest. So in this case, we want to do single cell uh, ataxic. And the nice thing about it is we can do the same analysis and getting the same information out of it. You can do motif analysis. You can try to, to understand the transcription factors that are activated in those single cells, and this particular cell type, and try to un understand your question. So this will be useful for clinical studies and to see Uh, what the drug is, uh, which cell class is the drug is acting on. And, um, you know, and that's particular of interest to our pharmaceutical partners. But um, why can't, can't the active motif ataxic kit not be used for the single cell ataxic? Why is the method so different? So what is the main difference in the method? Sure. So we actually use um, uh, the 10x uh, genomics um, we have this uh, microflip chip that actually isolates single cells and we do segmentation uh, using single cell suspensions. So that is a completely different workflow and using different technology. So you cannot actually using the kit for single cell services. So my last question is, uh, what is active motive, on current, active motive working on currently to bring forward the ataxic portfolio? So what is coming out of active motive maybe in the next couple of years? Okay, so we have recently launched Multiome. So this is a technology that combines single-cell ataxic and single-cell RNA-seq. So with this one, you can simultaneously look at gene expression and the open chromatin from the same cell. So this is a very powerful technology. Again, we're using uh, the 10X Genomics platform to do this. And um, the other thing we're working on is the full automation of ATAC-seq uh, services on liquid handlers. So this allows us to process 96 samples at a time. And this will be a re really a game changer when it comes to processing hundreds of clinical trial samples from you know, our farmer customers. So other things maybe I can lightly touch upon is we are rolling out a fixed ataxic services and kits. So we're basically, you know, because a lot of customer approaching us with um, multiple samples that either, you know, transfect with viruses or they are from patients and they wanted to save the sample quickly and fix them and, uh, you know, give us a lot of um, homogeneous process samples. So this kit will allow you to, to do that. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, that sounds very interesting and also very useful for the future. So thank you, Yuan, for your time and for being on this show. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Epigenetics Podcast from Active Motif. We hope you enjoyed it. You can find all the mentioned references in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you, so please send us your feedback on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or via email at podcast at activemotif.com, and we'll give you a shout-out in a future episode. For more great epigenetics content, check out the Active Motif blog at activemotif.com forward slash blog. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned.